Hello and welcome to the Indian Ocean World podcast. My name is Philip Gooding. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the Indian Ocean World Centre, McGill University. For this recording, I'm thrilled to be joined by Professor Pao K. Wang, a distinguished visiting chair of aeronautics and astronautics at National Chengkong University in Taiwan. Prof. Wang earned his PhD in atmospheric sciences from the University of California, Los Angeles, and his career is taking him to prestigious institutions across the globe, including MIT, National Taiwan University, and the Max Planck Institute for Chemistry. He was also the director and distinguished research fellow at the Research Center for Environmental Changes at Academia Sinica in Taipei, Taiwan from 2013 to 2020. He is the lead author of several important publications in his field, including the article under discussion in this podcast, which is entitled Construction of the Reaches Climate Database Based on Historical Documents of China, which was published in Nature in 2018. So, Professor Wang, thank you very much for joining us for this podcast. The Reconstructed East Asian Climate Historical Coded Series, or REACHES, mm -hmm. database is a major scholarly endeavour. Could you just you. explain a little bit about the origins of this project and what got you interested in historical climate uh, in uh, East Asia to begin with? Sure. So let me start with my initial interest. And this uh, goes all the way back when I was a uh, child in, in Taiwan. I got interested in this ancient Chinese literature through my father, who was a sort of expert in this uh, ancient Chinese uh, literature. Uh, so I was able to read the classical Chinese uh, literature ever since I was a childhood. Uh, and uh, one of the things that always intrigued me when I read those uh, records was uh, these, these reports saying that the thunderstorm in the winter is a bad omen. And I always wonder why that is the case. So I asked my father, do you know why they say that? And my father said, no, he doesn't know. Uh, he wasn't a meteorologist anyway. Uh, so eventually I went to uh, college and I majored in meteorology in National Taiwan University. And so supposedly our professor should be the expert in this area. So I asked one of my professors, say, do you know why uh, in those historic classical texts says that uh, the uh, winter center storm is a bad omen? And uh, he says he didn't, he doesn't know, you know. Uh, and that's, that's where I started to get intrigued why this is the case. So eventually I went to uh, UCLA to study animal science. Uh, and my major field is in physics. Uh, so it's still doing atmospheric physics. Uh, however, I put on my side uh, as a side interest. Uh, one day I was uh, reading a paper by Professor Ko Ching Chu, uh, who uh, at that time was the vice president of the uh, Chinese Academy of Sciences. So he worked on a paper uh, called the reconstruction of Chinese temperature in the last 5,000 years. Uh, and he used all those interesting records, uh, mostly phenological, but including some of like uh, the data of arrival of swallows or the data of some river frozen uh, and so on, those kind of data. And he came out with a temperature curve. Uh, showing that in the third, fourth century it was cold, and uh, and then in the sixth century to eighth century that was a warm period. 
uh, yeah. and then become cold again and, and so on. So he had a curve. And so uh, that hit me interested. So I say, hey, you know, since I was curious about what why thunderstorm in winter is such a bad omen, I say, maybe I can do a study uh, using the similar method. Uh, but instead of using any of his uh, biological phenomena or other kind of phenology, I, I would look out for the official chronicles in China. Yep. And I will collect those data whenever they record thunderstormy winter. Then I'll pick up that up. Uh, and uh, so I went through, you know, it's a huge effort uh, to go through the what they call the 24th century, 24 histories. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge, huge document the more than 200 volumes uh, and then I gather all these uh, records of the winter thunderstorms and then I sorted out every 30 years uh, so I counted the frequency every 30 years and uh, my original thinking is that well since Chu has this temperature curve and I will have this frequency of the thunderstorm in winter and uh, my original thinking as as any meteorologist probably will guess, is that when the winter is warmer, uh, you're going to get more thunderstorm anyway, because it's warmer, more yeah. convection and so on, so on. So when I finished, it just completely the opposite. You know? Whenever it's colder, you get more thunderstorm in winter. <laughs> and uh, I say, what? That can be true, you know? So yeah. I went through all the record myself and uh, just, to, just to check, did I do anything wrong? Uh, and this is totally independent of what the Chu did because he didn't care about what the winter thunderstorm is. So in his construction, reconstruction of temperature curve, he didn't use any uh, thunderstorm data. So I just used singly thunderstorm data to do, and it turned out that it's a completely opposite, and the, the correlation is like a minus 0.7 or something. And that yeah. is a fairly incredible <laughs> anti-correlation. Yeah. Yeah. So it means that whenever, whenever it's a cold climate, you, you, you're going to have a more thunderstorm in the winter uh, in China. Uh, so uh, that was the beginning of my interest in doing this. Uh, so I, I published a paper in 1980 when I was still in UCLA as a adjunct associate professor, uh, assistant professor, uh, and I published a paper in climate change uh, on that, uh, it's about the uh, winter center storms. And uh, so that was the beginning of this uh, work. Then uh, in 1984, I went to China as the representative of NOAA's uh, they want to have a, a collaboration with uh, Chinese Meteorological Bureau. Uh, I think they eventually call the Chinese Meteorological Administration. And uh, by then I was already a, a professor in uh, University of Wisconsin in medicine. Uh, so I have been there since 1980 until 2016, uh, retired uh, there. Uh, and uh, so 1984, I was sent to China and talked to people in uh, the Chinese uh, meteorological administration there. And they had a lady, uh, last name is Zhang. Uh, she 
also did some historical work. Uh, it turned out that uh, she compiled uh, the flood and drought records of China in the last 500 years. And uh, she actually published a, a sort of, annual, it, it's an atlas, the atlas of the uh, flood and drought distributions in the last 500 years in China. Uh, so that was very interesting. Uh, but uh, the way they did, of course, is very, very labor intensive. Uh, they just put the, they, they have, I mean, what, what you have in China is always, they have a lot of people anyway, so there's no problem to find them. Many people uh, go through these old documents and find out wherever you have a flood or a drought and you put it on. And they put it on the map and then hand-drawn uh, contours on them. So you get the 500 maps uh, and they publish a book uh, on that. And uh, so she talked to me and said, oh, that's interesting. Uh, of course, back then, that was the beginning of the personal computer. And as you know, China back then did not have any real computer facility at all. Uh, so everything was hand-drawn. And uh, I pointed out a few possible defects of such analysis. And one, as you can imagine, is that uh, you tend to have a bias towards Wherever records are more uh, abundant, uh, so in like uh, neighborhood of Beijing or neighborhood of Shanghai, you get a lot of records. Uh, and uh, if they say there's a lot of flood, would, you tend to draw a lot of circles there. You know, that's the center of you know. You tend to, oh, that's where the center of the flood is. But in reality, it just means uh, you get more records there. You know. So I said that you have to somehow uh, normalize this of area-wide. So you have to do some kind of special analysis. And uh, of course, they had difficulty of doing that because first of all, they don't have a computer. And how do you calculate the aerial mean or things like that? Uh, so uh, they decided to send her to Madison to join me and uh, NSF gave me a project. So we started to collaboration uh, back in 1984. Uh, so. Uh, that was really the beginning of more or less systematic work. So aside from my regular physics work, uh, I also work uh, a bit on this uh, climate uh, reconstruction. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, back then we only, you know, the, the project was relatively small. Uh, so what we did is we get the Imperial Palace records. Uh, it's called the Clear and the Rain records which is also very interesting. It's a daily uh, weather report. It's a secret report compiled by some uh, officials in China and uh, over some large cities. And they secretly compile the report and send this report to the emperor on a monthly basis. Uh, so it was a very interesting. Uh, you got this daily, every day they say, the rain started at like two o'clock in the evening. Uh, lasted until seven o'clock in the morning and something like that and, and the day of the day and reported and uh, nobody even know or at least not openly what those records are for you know why does the emperor need to know about this so we were just guessing that uh, this may be something that the emperor want to use to check against the, some of the possible corruptions as you know some of these old in old imperial china they had a lot of corruptions and uh, 
and not all these governors, they collected the taxes from people, and then they send half of the taxes maybe to the emperor. And uh, the reason, you know, they will put some reasons in that our province has suffered big uh, flood or drought or something like that, so we cannot afford uh, to submit that much tax uh, to the core and something like that. But indeed, uh, they actually got 100% of the tax from people, but they make up some of the lies so that tell the emperor that we don't have enough money to pay the taxes. So the emperor may pull out those wizard records saying, my secret report says your weather is perfectly fine. And then you are saying that you have a flat or something. So that, that is the purpose that we, we guess, you know, but we never found in any document uh, talking about those. But anyway, we did use those records to reconstruct uh, the Qin Dynasty uh, reign for over some of the larger cities. So there are only four cities, uh, those records that remains, and the rest that we don't know where they are. Uh, either destroyed or still hiding somewhere, we don't know. Uh, so that was uh, back in 1980. So the 1980 and 90s. Uh, so Professor Zhang went back to China uh, and uh, she wanted to continue to collaborate with me. Uh, and so I said that when I go back and you have so many people work there, why don't you collect almost complete data about you know, weather? Uh, because you can collect those weather data from the official chronicles, you know, these are national chronicles. And they also have ever since the Ming Dynasty, which is about the starting late 14th century, you have the local records available. So every province, every large cities, even some of the township have their own records. And they are not all the wizard reports. So they collected all this and I say, we should do that. So she went back. And surely enough, she organized, oh, I believe more than 100 people to work for her. Uh, and they eventually compiled, and uh, this is the, uh, the, the compendium uh, that I mentioned in my 2018 uh, Nature uh, paper, uh, Scientific Data. Uh, that's, where, that's where the data source is. Uh, and she invited me to write a actually more like a translate the English preface uh, for that. So that was how they published that in, I think the first one was 2010 or 2011, I forgot. But anyway, so after 2013, uh, I came back to Taiwan where I was originally from uh, to serve as the director of the Research Center for Environmental Changes. Uh, and here the center is in the so-called Academia Seneca, you know, which is a government-funded research institution. It is supposed to be the highest research uh, institution in Taiwan. That's where we say, hey, maybe this is a good time to start doing this large-scale work. So uh, as you know, this company was written, it's, it's just a collection of the original first and the original phrases in the ancient book. First of all, if you don't know Chinese, then sorry, you cannot read it. Uh, and even if you know Chinese, that is written in classical Chinese. And, uh, if I'm not trained, it's uh, very difficult for most common people to understand it. Uh, so my idea was, you know, because 
I like those data to be available to anybody who are interested. And as you know, many people who once they get their own data, they sort of hide it, or they 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 don't like to give it to people. You know, it's 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 really impede the research in this area. And for climate, they really need good climate data. Uh, so what I'm thinking is, you know, we we will take these original records, then we will, one record can contain three or four different kinds of climate messages. You know, it can be weather and it could be about the kind of rain you have or maybe kind of uh, precipitation, maybe the snow or so there are all kinds of different information in one records. So what we did it was okay, we take this company team records and we carefully read it and then we sort it out and so one record may become four or five different entries. Uh, and we give those uh, phenomena, each kind of phenomena, like uh, rain, one cold, and a light rain, another cold, you know, so it's rain coding, and then there's light rain, heavy rain, or something. So all those different severities, different kind of precipitation, and other different kind of phenological phenomena, we give them a kind of cold, and so we digitize all this in terms of this code. As long as you have the dictionary, you go into this uh, database we came up with, uh, you can read it yourself. You know, you can come up and you can form the series yourself. And so that was the purpose. And so that was pretty much done. We are pretty much done with that. And we have give this original database. We, we, we store this in uh, NOAA site that we mentioned in the, in the nature paper. So in the nature paper, um, yeah. the public, time of publication in 2018, uh, right. there were about 50,000 rows of data uh, right. for the period 1644 to 1795. Does this mean it's right. grown since then as well? Yes, we uh, actually have finished, uh, the, see the company has four volumes, but the most important actually is the volume two, three, and four. And that's starting from the Ming Dynasty, uh, which is the year 1368. So we now have uh, finished its hosting from 1368 to 1911. So it covers the Ming and Qin Dynasty, uh, which is very useful because once you have this about 500 year or, you know, or so, let's say 600 year, data that's you know useful for people to do the climate study so that you can use that to validate any climate models. You know, so if, I, if, if somebody claims his climate model is good, and if we know some kind of climate forcing, you know, volcanoes or whatever, oceanographic uh, forcing they know of and they put in the, their model and try to reproduce the past climate. Uh, if they can do that, then I, I can say, well, I, I believe your model is of any good, you know. <laughs> if they can't even do that, you know, then why should we believe the model? You know, so I think that's a good thing to test against the models. Have you found much discrepancy between the climate models and what's in the Reaches database? And for, so, so, there's, so there's two things. You can have the climate models, which kind of have model the whole climate, right. often at a global scale, but also right. um, 
actual natural proxies within China, for example, tree rings. Do you mm -hmm. often find there are similarities or are there discrepancies? And if there are discrepancies, do I able how how have you resolved them, or has, has there been a I suppose a, a fight um, or or reconciliation to try and improve the data um, on both yeah. sides? Yeah, so far uh, we just uh, finished constructing the database. Uh, so these are the original records. In the last few months, we finished, uh, almost finished the paper of reconstructing the temperatures. It's going pretty well. Uh, so we are going to come up with a paper version. And uh, so we actually have not carefully checked against other, you know, other data yet. So whether there is a big discrepancies or not, uh, I'm not sure. But I knew of some of the discourses before. Uh, and uh, one of the possibility is that, you know, when we came up with a average, like an annual mean temperature of China or monthly mean or something, uh, and uh, people always take this and they go against some of the natural proxy. For example, somebody finds some uh, isotopic data in uh, saclamide, uh, and uh, they, they say, oh, you know, it's this uh, in the ear. Well, they cannot go ear. I mean, that this is a very blurred signal. So they're talking about maybe in the seventh century, this was a dry area, and your data shows it's a humid area, and something like that. But it's it's really not a very <laughs> fair comparison because these, these uh, Proxy data, for example, somebody I remember I forgot the name, but uh, they got a data point in the very southern point of China, Guangxi province, which is uh, I would say latitude about twenty, about twenty degree or something like that, or even slightly lower, and uh, they use one single point to say the Tang Dynasty climate is going drought, and that's the reason why Tang. Tang Dynasty collapsed. I said, wait a minute, you cannot just, you know, make conclusion like that and base just one point, you know. <laughs> and China is a big area, right? So the climate there changes a lot. I mean, the north-south, there's huge difference. Uh, and uh, you cannot expect that the, you know, not only that the climate at one time different, but the, the climate trend can be very different, you know. So, and I believe there are some uh, actually, Professor Zhang, the, my collaborator, I had to have a paper arguing these kind of discrepancies. Uh, and uh, I believe her point more because the human records has more, much more data than these uh, natural proxies. Uh, and uh, people always say natural proxies won't lie. Well, that's true. The problem is the natural proxies uh, has ambiguities. You don't know what causes that. So you can only guess it causes by temperature or it causes by humidity, or maybe it's just a simple, just a shift of weather patterns, you know? And uh, so that's that's a complicated thing. On the other hand, on human, when they say cold, I will say, yes, it's cold. When we use this technique uh, to come up with the reconstruction of temperature, we have reasons to believe the, these historical records are real. And in fact, the, 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 like I said, the paper we are 
just uh, finished, we use the reconstructed technique and uh, check against the instrumental data. We are so lucky that uh, at the end of, uh, near the end of 19th century, uh, there were these missionaries uh, in China that set up some of some uh, observatories. Uh, and in particular, uh, this one in Beijing was set up by some uh, Russian churches, and they got some of these uh, instrumental records. And uh, at the same time, we have these uh, records we came out with from the riches. Uh, so we, we make this uh, reconstruction and then compare with these uh, instrumental records. When you do the 10 year running mean, you compare the two records, uh, the correlation is 0.9. So it's not one, but, but very close all, which means that using historical documents to reconstruct climate is, you know, credible. You, you can believe in this type of reconstructions. And I think they will come up with very good results. You can never get one correlation point nine. It's incredible. No. It's incredible. It's incredible. But incredible uh, when I see this point nine, I was already shocked. I would yeah. believe, you know, if I get point five or point six, I think I'll be overwhelmed. But this point nine, that's incredible. That's impossible. <laughs> but it's true, you know. So we have to publish all this and uh, let people know that the uh, historical records are useful and. Uh, so I, you know, ever since I worked on this historical climatology part, and I sometimes encounter some of the professional historians who always say, oh, you know, these records are random and uh, you never know uh, whether you can believe this or not. I say, well, yeah, there are always some bias, but you, you can believe in the trends because the trends are usually true and uh, you can always see uh, while People may have some kind of bias, but uh, as you work carefully, uh, you can always remove those bias. Uh, one of the bias we have seen is, is very natural. About the temperature, some of the record we use is that people claim that the, this year is very cold. Uh, but what do you mean very cold? You know, so the feeling of coldness uh, is very different. You know, people for you, you, know, you guys in uh, Montreal, you say, when you say cold, that must be really cold. But for people in Taiwan, uh, when, they, when they say cold, that, that you may laugh. <laughs> you may say, that's not cold at all. We have seen that kind of bias in these records. You know? Everyone who records these colder years, uh, people in Northern China, Central China, and Southern China, many, many times they all recorded cold years. But in the South, they all say it's very cold. And then the North just say it's cold. You know, not very cold. You know, so you have, you have these kind of discrepancies, but that can be calibrated. You know, I believe. Yeah. So you mentioned them just then, professional historians, and I count myself as one of those. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of our listeners are professional historians as well. Right. Um, one of the challenges of interpreting the qualitative reports, qualitative mm -hmm. reports that have been collected into the uh, compendium of meteorological records of China is that obviously different authors use different terms describing what they saw. Now, historians will be very kind of used to using qualitative data uh, right. and making interpretations based on that. But what mm -hmm. the kind of the Reaches database does more than that is it standardizes it, uh, right. making all the data interoperable so you can calibrate it and verify across different regions as well. Right. And I just wondered 
how did you go about standardizing all these qualitative descriptions when different authors would have used different terms and different phraseologies for describing what they saw? What kind of rules did you use? And were there any ambiguities that were particularly challenging? Actually, very fortunately, uh, these recording, the way of recording those phenomena that are pretty much standardized. Ever since uh, Han Dynasty, uh, that's one of the good things working with the Chinese documents. This is especially true in the official chronicles. They have a very systematic way of recording those. Yeah, there are some variations term, but we can see easily what they mean. There are some ambiguities. You know, some sometimes we couldn't even comprehend what they say, but that's very rare. It's possibly due to either the, you know, <laughs> what you can call typo or something, you know, some of the characters that you never know, you know, or some of the editions of the, the book, some of the word missing, but those are very, very rare. Uh, I, I would say much, much less than 0.1%. Uh, so other than that, they are actually very thin away of putting those records down. The, there are some variations when we go to the local records, uh, because the local records are done by the local scholars, and they are less uniform compared to the imperial historians. Uh, so the imperial historians, uh, they use a very standard term, passed from ages of you know, dynasty of the dynasty. But the local records, they have more variation. But even there, the variations are not not that great. They are still pretty much standardized. So it's, uh, uh, I don't think there is much difficulty uh, there. Uh, it's, it's more difficult how we decide to use as the indicator. You know, when you get a lot of snow, does that mean whether it's cold or not? You know, when I read some of the old literature, somebody will say, oh, when the trees are coated by a layer of ice, uh, it means very cold. But ever, you know, been living in Madison, Wisconsin before, I knew that was not the case. Uh, that just means the temperature actually is close to zero degrees C, you know. So you get freezing rain, and then when they fall on the trees, they, they become freezing rain. So it's not particularly cold. So we are aware of this type of phenomenon. So when you carefully sort it out, it turned out to be you can get very good results. Fair enough. So, so, so that, that's really interesting. Now, yeah. one of the things that I really loved about the Reaches database is how actually easy it is to use. Um, right. Someone like me who yeah. wasn't trained in um, Chinese history, who has a fairly decent knowledge of GIS, was able ah. just to, just to uh, here we go, let's get started. I can sort out some of this data and start and get stuck right. in and start mapping some things and actually start mapping some change over time. Um, yes. I've got some questions for you. Just a question about that. Put yourself in my shoes for a minute or someone like me's right. shoes, someone who's interested in understanding historical climatology from documentary sources. With the Reaches database, where would you start? Well, what, what periods are what periods are particularly interesting? Where's the data particularly rich? And how would you start methodologically going through it? Okay, uh, I would say you can start with the Qin Dynasty. That's the last dynasty because, first of all, there are a lot of uh, records available 
And uh, there are a lot of other records that you can use to check against the quality of the, the data you come up with. Uh, for example, all the records we got are from Chinese records. But if you have other sources, I, I, at, the, at the same time, uh, you should have a lot of Western sources because in Qin Dynasty, virtually ever since the uh, 18th century, you have a lot of these missionaries go there. So uh, I know in Europe, uh, like somebody in Switzerland, they get these compile those records of the missionaries in China that uh, you know they have various kind of records, some diaries uh, or some mm. other tribal reports, and they contain some of the uh, weather there. And so I would say, if you get some of the richest data of a certain, because we do have these longitude and latitude, so you can pick up a, a city, uh, maybe not a large city, you know, because uh, there's about to be a lot of people working on those large cities like Shanghai or Beijing, you know, if you can pick up some of the more inland uh, area like Wuhan, and then, you know, try to see if there are some other Western sources and work it together. I think it will get very fruitful paper because uh, I don't think anybody work very much in this inland area. Uh, that would be a very interesting thing uh, to work with and uh, to, to see if whether uh, the records in the company team would, would do the good service for checking those uh, climate conditions. So it's an it's a, it's a interesting exercise uh, there. That's some wonderful advice. I might follow it up. I have absolutely loved working with Reach's database. Yeah. Uh, and I really want to thank you and uh, your team. In fact, before before um, before parting, could you just say a little more about your team? Obviously, you mentioned a few of your collaborations. How did you put your team together in Taiwan? Was um, can you right. just say a little bit more? How did you put your team together? Because there's a lot of um, an in, there's a lot of interdisciplinarity there as well. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, uh, in in our center, we didn't really have the expertise in this area. I I was the only one really uh, ever had working on this. So I talked to our institute of what they call the history and the language. So there's another institute, and they have a lot of expertise. You know, they don't know much about climate, but they do have a lot of you know, history. And they have this so-called historical GIS, which is a great service. Yeah, they, uh, somebody else, they came up with a GIS system. And if you just input the time and the name, uh, they will give you the longitude and latitude uh, of that. And uh, that's very important because for example, the name Beijing. What do you mean Beijing? You know, historically, there are Beijings. Uh, they mean different places. And Nanjing, uh, there can be four or five different Nanjings at the same time, because China was not always one country. They're not uh, split into many small countries. And uh, any capital south of their own capital, they call it the Nanjing. Uh, and so back then, so you have to know exactly which one you're talking about which is very lucky that uh, they come up with such a uh, historical GIS system. So we have input, that's, that's how we get our uh, longitude latitude information for the ridges. Uh, so we have those historian help, and then we have the uh, geographers. So my main collaborator in Taiwan, she is now a geography uh, professor in uh, 
National Normal, Taiwan Normal University. So she's a geographer. And uh, so we collaborate with historians, we collaborate with geographer, and we collaborate with some other universities, uh, also some historic uh, history department. Uh, and hire a team about uh, one time about like 20 or some people uh, just one those because to sort out these records one by one, this, this has intensive, uh, labor intensive work, you know, and those, uh, they really work very hard on this and get it out. So I'm very glad that uh, we produce something. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so uh, one final question then. Uh, what's next mm -hmm. Reach's database? You mentioned so originally it was just with the first half of the Qing dynasty. It's now mm -hmm. the whole way through Ming and Qing, which is from volume two to four of right. the compendium. What's right. next? Is volume you going to is volume one going to be next, or are there new frontiers yeah, to uh, yeah. go through? Now that uh, volume one will be will, will be in fact we're already working on that. Uh, I think it will be finished. What we really want to do is we also want to use those uh, database and we want to uh, reconstruct a lot of real climate series. So numerical series from those. Uh, in fact, one of the series, I think it will be interesting. We want to do, we, work, we are actually working on the locust. Mm. And uh, you're from, you're doing East Africa, you have a lot of these locusts. Uh, and locust is very much related to monsoon. So, you know, like uh, many of these uh, United Nations studies, uh, locusts, where they are, usually indicate where the monsoon front is. Uh, as the, and uh, so if I apply the same theory in China, uh, I want to be able to reconstruct the East Asian monsoon uh, using these uh, richest data. And we already see something very interesting. We already see distributions of uh, Locust in the 17th century and the, in, the, in the 18th century are very different. In, uh, in the 17th century, the, the, the locust seems to be go much further inland. And in the 18th century, it's, it's less so. So what does that mean? Uh, if I use the results they obtained in East Africa, it, it could mean that East Asian monsoon is reaching further inland in 17th century than the 18th century. So. And uh, the contrast is very, very interesting. It's very, very obvious and very interesting. So I want to complete our temperature reconstruction and uh, humidity reconstruction, and then compare it with the locust with, uh, to see what. So all these are very interesting. Uh, at the same time, we also work on these uh, societal conflicts. So this will be something we call SEER, S-I-E-R, will be a database similar to Riches. Uh, this will be the societal impact uh, and uh, something like that. The try to relate climate change and the societal conflict uh, to see if there are any, any relations there. So that will be our next effort. That is incredibly interesting and incredibly on topic for current concerns with global warming. So I really look forward to seeing the fruits of that research. And I want to thank you as well very much for discussing your research up to now, its future directions. I'm very excited to hear about the links with the locusts as well, partly because of my um, academic background. As well, I want to thank uh, Sam Glee Riemann for organizing and producing the mm -hmm. podcast. Uh, and I'd like to thank you, the listener, for streaming and or downloading. Uh, once again, my name is Philip Gooding, and this is the Indian Ocean World Podcast.
We would like to acknowledge the generous support of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. The Indian Ocean World podcast is produced under the Shirk-funded partnership Appraising Risk Past and Present. The podcast runs in conjunction with the annual speaker series at the Indian Ocean World Centre at McGill University, Montreal.